It's a beautiful morning and it's lovely to be around the Word of God. So we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16 and we've been chatting here about various things before the service and it's strange I have a thing just about mosques being built in the West. The number of Islamic mosques in the West is exploding. There are 1,699 in England, 1,625 in France, 1,220 in America, 163 in Germany, and another 184 new ones are planned, and so on. And 60% of the mosques in America opened in the last 20 years. There are even nine mosques in Disney, around Disneyland in Orlando. In July 2008, the largest mosque in Canada opened in Calgary. It cost $15 million and it's called the House of Divine Light. It seats 1,500 and has 48,000 square feet of space. And the Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, graced the opening of it. More people in Britain now attend mosques than the Church of England. In America, the number of attendees has increased by 75% in five years. These mosques are often built with funds from Islamic nations in the Middle East and are frequently sympathetic to terrorism. Some are terrorist training centers. In the Times, it reported... Quotation, almost half of Britain's mosques are under the control of a hardline Islamic sect whose leading preacher loathes Western values and has called on Muslims to shed blood for Allah. End of the quotation. Apparently the word mosque means the place where men prostrate before Allah. But a mosque is not just a religious meeting place, it is an Islamic outpost, a show of power, a sign of territorial expansion. Spuler Stagman, a religious scholar at Germany's University of Marburg, says, Where you can hear the call of the minaret, from a certain Muslim perspective, that's Islamic ground. And that comes from Spiegel in July the 16th. The Turkish Prime Minister uh, Recep Erdogan said in 1997, the minarets are our lances, the domes are helmets, and the believers are our army. You see, the, the, the Islamic uh, Islam is not just religion, nor it is a cult. In its fullest form, it is a complete, total, 100% system of life. Islam has religious, legal, political, economic, social, and military components. And just something which came in. Uh, from uh, Dave Hunt uh, he's talking about Amnesty International report on human rights is out for the last year the Muslim world constitutes 
as usual, the bleakest chapter. Every single country across the Muslim world has been pointed out by the Amnesty International either for executions and torture or discrimination against women and ethnic and religious minorities. Punishments never handed out even during the Stone Age, he says, have been awarded in 21st century Muslim world. In one case, two Saudi nationals were awarded 7,000 lashes. 7,000, yes. And executions, well, 335 in Iran, 158 in Saudi Arabia, 135 in Pakistan. Violation of human rights, it seems, is the only thing that unites the otherwise divided Muslim world. And these people, worshipping Allah, need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, having read that, let's just turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we're going to read just a few verses, starting at verse 9. Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee. Begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a free will offering of thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. According as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter, and thy manservant and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you in in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. Another one of these feasts that had to be performed in the place where God hath chosen to place his name there. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and that thou shalt observe and do these statutes. We now come to what is called the Feast of Weeks. Another of the important obligatory feasts as far as the males were concerned. Although all feasts were in fact obligatory. But this one in fact as regards the males. You know I was looking at what we are going to say today. And you know sometimes when we start to speak. We're going over things that we have said before. But. I suppose it's like the old hymn. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon. The early dew of morning has passed away at noon. We need to be reminded again and again of the truths of Scripture. But this feast of weeks, and in Exodus 34 and 22 it says, And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Thrice in the year shall all thy males appear before the Lord 
Jehovah, the God of Israel. It was one of these feasts where the people had to, the men had to attend. Three times a year the men had to present themselves before the God of Israel. The Feast of Weeks or Pentecost as we know it today. Last week we looked at the Passover. This was a very vivid type speaking to us of the death of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And just as the Israelites, trusting by faith that the blood of the Lamb would ensure their release from bondage, always provided that they sheltered within the dwelling covered by the blood of the slain lamb. So to us, the Lamb of God, slain for us, and all who come to him by faith are sheltered from the wrath of God. We looked at that all last week. John 3, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He shall not see life. Man is dead in sin and can only be made spiritually alive through faith in Christ. Through a spiritual birth. Until then man is dead. He has not been born into the kingdom of God's love. And as this verse clearly says, He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. We hear a lot of talk these days about the unconditional love of God. Quite often speakers will say about the unconditional love of God. Yes, God does love us. He loved the world so much that he sent his Son to die for the sins of the world. Colossians 1 and verse 13 Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us. And the word translated there is moving from one place to another. From the kingdom of the power of darkness he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. We each need to be removed from Satan's darkness into the kingdom of light through the new birth. Otherwise the wrath of God is hanging over us and the judgment of God will fall upon us as we stand before him at the great white throne. Romans 1.18 The wrath of God is something which is very real. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Ephesians 5, 6 Let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And the same in Colossians 3, 6. Do we have a description of the wrath of God? Yes, we do. And it's very vivid. In Revelation we have a description here of those who accept the worship of the Antichrist. Revelation 14.10 The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, 
and ye shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night you know Christians those who have been translated from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shall not come into judgment at the great white throne but for those who appear before the great white throne there is an awful fearful as scripture says looking for of judgment for those the verdict has already been made he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. All that awaits is the final judgment to be announced. The accused has been found guilty already. He's condemned already. And judgment was to is to be announced I thought of this the other day I was thinking of a court case there was a couple who who uh, uh, embezzled money by pretending the husband had been drowned at sea they had been found guilty the case had been completed and judgment was to be announced in a couple of days the case was over they condemned they were condemned all that awaited was judgment sinful man has been declared guilty and condemned by God and unless sinful man accepts that fact and the fact that God's son has borne the punishment due to them if they reject that they will have to accept the punishment declared in the final judgment of God at the great white throne there is no counsel for the defence there are no pleas for leniency that time has passed only the fearful looking for of judgment very solemn what a totally awesome and terrible prospect well let's move on well that was all to do with the Passover and the results of Calvary verse 9 seven weeks shall their number unto thee begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn I was thinking about this seven weeks a, a week a week is not any particular seasonal thing if you, you, if you didn't know weeks existed there's nothing in nature to show what a week is a week, a week is something uh, which has been brought in it's a divine measurement in Genesis God created the world in six days and the seventh day he rested 
nothing in the world indicates what a week is there's nothing in nature we know when summer is because the, 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 it's warmer winter is, is, is a season but a week is not a, is not a season it's, it was brought in by God it was a divine period and this period of seven weeks shows a certain completeness and we look at this a little bit later on when God created the world in seven days he rested the seventh day and that was a complete final end to the creation period a divine period and with a divine result and seven weeks we know that seven is, is the number of perfection and this was a period of seven, seven, seven weeks period. And it showed in some way a spiritual completeness, this seven weeks. And it, in Deuteronomy, this verse is not elaborated upon. But we look at what it, what it means. Seven weeks and you shall start numbering from the time you put the sickle in the corn what does that mean after the sabbath of the passover the high priest went out into the valley of Kedron and ritually put the sickle to the corn it was the start of the harvest it's more fully explained in Leviticus 23 if you want to have a look at it verses 10 to 14 and he brought this sheaf back into the temple or into the tabernacle as the case may be it was the first fruits of the harvest and until that had been brought into the temple and, be, and offered before the Lord in a wave offering a lot of other things happened at the same time but he, he offered this sheaf of wheat before the Lord it was forbidden it says ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the self same day that ye have brought an offering unto your God when this sheaf had been offered before that they couldn't benefit from anything of the harvest that's what it meant the feast was called the feast of first fruits and it reminds us vividly of our blessed Lord in his resurrection the day after Passover the priest cut the corn. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. 1 Corinthians 15.23 Every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after they that are Christ that is coming. And this represented, this feast represented the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ the first fruits of the harvest and they were presented to God in the temple 
in the tabernacle. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we too have, who have believed in him, we're assured of a resurrection to life. But firstly, just as the offering to God of the new corn had to be offered to God in the house of God first, so in order for us to be partakers of the new life in Christ, he had to rise first and enter into the presence of God. It's a wonderful picture, the, the, the first fruits. And Hebrews 9.24 it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Christ has risen from the dead, and he has presented himself to God the Father. And we know that God is well pleased with his offering. And if you look at just briefly at Leviticus 23 verse 11 21 verse 23 verse 11 talking here about the waving the, the, the sheaf before the Lord and he shall wave the sheep the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you for you and Christ has entered into the heavenly temple before his father and he has presented himself an offering acceptable to God for me and for you. We saw in the Passover that it said you were to eat it at night. The night of the Passover. For the Israelites, that night ended the domination and the bondage of Egypt. Because the Lamb had been slain, they were able to move out of that bondage. The night was over. The death of the Lamb had ended that. We too, for you and for me, when we accept Christ through his life, the life which he gives because of his resurrection, the life, the darkness of the night has passed for us. We now move forward in light, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From now, we count from the date of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when they started counting. They started counting not from the Passover but from the resurrection. They understand it. See the world talks about BC and AD and all the rest of it. And the world considers BC from the birth of Jesus Christ. But for the Christian it's not the birth of Jesus Christ it's his wonderful resurrection. From now on we have life in Christ. Sadly the world connects Christ with his birth. 
with all that is involved in the world. Many think Christ came to improve the world. And they spend their lives as a result seeking to improve the world. But Christ came to die. And he rose again. Rose again. And that's when we, as Christians, have new life. Not with his birth, which was necessary through the virgin birth and through Mary. But the most important thing was his resurrection from the dead. Because he entered into death came conqueror over sin and death and the grave and now he rose in, in, in new life for you and for me and now the Israelite had to do a little bit of arithmetic he had to start counting seven weeks shall their number unto thee begin to number the seven weeks from such time as you put the sickle into the corn Fifty days time you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost as we call it these days. Here again we have a lot more detail in Leviticus 23 but we restrict ourselves this time to what it says here in Deuteronomy 16 about this particular feast. As we saw, there were two harvests in Israel. And this was at the time of the wheat harvest. This was at the time of the second harvest, the wheat harvest. The first one was the corn. The second one was the wheat. Seven weeks after the first harvest. And it was a time for the presentation in thanksgiving and offering for the blessing of the wheat harvest. You know, we speak of these feasts as being types fulfilled by Christ in his death and in his resurrection and the promises in the Old Testament are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have the wonderful advantage of looking at the New Testament and seeing how these types have been fulfilled. And it makes us realise how wonderful the Word of, the word of God is. Because all these uh, various things... These promises, these, these feasts and other things throughout scripture written over many, many years all dovetail so completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. What an assurance it gives us when we realise how wonderful and how glorious pattern the Lord had in his divine plan for the salvation of man. The feast before us here is that which points to the coming of the Holy Spirit to build the church here on earth in verse 10 we have the first instruction the first instruction regarding this when this particular feast arrived 50 days after the, the seven, seven full weeks thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a free will offering of thine hand which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God according as the Lord hath thy God hath blessed thee according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee 
the, 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 the free will offering was to be in accordance with how the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. It was to be in proportion to the blessings they had received from God. Now that was a difficult thing surely for the Israelite to work out. They had been redeemed from bondage. Something they are reminded about in verse 12. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. And thou shalt observe and do these statutes. They had been redeemed from bondage. And then they had been led safely through the wilderness for 40 years. What was that worth? How was that to be put into a material form according to the blessings which God hath blessed thee? How much easier it would have been if, if it had said so many shekels and they could have uh, just made it that way. But this is a challenge as to how they judged how God had blessed them. And that was quite obviously a very difficult thing. Because each one had his own idea as to how God had blessed them. We in the church of Jesus Christ have been blessed beyond measure. How do we return in turn worship God? Because of the blessings we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I've done this before. I find it helpful when considering the blessings of God. To remind ourselves as to what Paul said in writing to the Ephesians. Just turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And here we have some of the blessings by which God has blessed us. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's the introduction. And then Paul goes on to tell us some of the blessings which we have in Christ Jesus. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him and love. God has chosen us. And in verse 5, having predestinated us according to the adoption of children, we have been adopted into the family of Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he, we, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Remember what we said about that offering? Christ has presented himself an offering accepted by God. And we too, because of that, are accepted in the beloved. For me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died, and I have died in thee. 
Thou art risen, my bands are all untied, and now thou livest in me. The Father's face of radiant grace shines now in light on me. We are now, because of Jesus Christ, accepted by him, by God, through him. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And then in verses 9 and 10, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure whom he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. What a wonderful future we have in Christ Jesus. And then verse 11. We've been speaking about this quite a bit in the last few weeks. We have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance through Christ. Having predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And why, verses 12 to 14, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, listen to this, we were sealed. His seal was put upon us that we were his. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have received the Holy Ghost into our lives as the seal of our salvation. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. The, the proof that one day we will receive a final inheritance in heaven. The proof is the Holy Spirit. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. When everything is brought together in heaven we will be there. And we have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in our lives that that will take place unto the praise of his glory. Isn't that wonderful? All these spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Look at a few more. 18 to 23. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world and also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Christ, the head of all things, the head of the church, not the Pope, not the Queen. Christ is our head. And the power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is available through the power of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 1 of the next chapter. We're nearly finished. And you hath he quickened who were dead 
in sins. We were dead and we've been made alive. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in sins, we've been quickened together with Christ. As he was raised from the dead, so we have been brought to life in Christ Jesus. Verses 6 to 10, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. I am in Christ and he is in glory. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Nothing of ourselves. His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He wants us to walk in good works. Pleasing to him. Now that's enough to go on with. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And because of all this blessing, what should we do? Well, as Paul says, I beseech you, I implore you. Therefore, because of all these things that we've just been going through, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, which is your spiritual service. And don't follow the fashions of this world. Don't be conformed. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These people were to present an offering to God in proportion as God as to how God had blessed them. Paul says, You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ, therefore I beseech you, make a presentation to God. Present yourself a living sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. At the transfiguration, you know, when Christ was transfigured, he was transfigured before them, he was transformed. And he displayed all the glory of God at that transfiguration. He was transfigured before them, he was transformed. And we, we should show forth in some way in our lives something of the beauty of our Lord in being transformed our lives should be transformed through the power of the Holy Ghost the other thing about this feast was it was to be a joyful occasion thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God everybody was to be included they who were there to make this sacrifice this offering to God because of that they were to be joyful at Passover, there was no offering from the Israelites. It was all of what God had done for them. All to do with the blood of the Lamb. 
a Calvary. It is all of what Christ has wrought and done for us. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Saviour or I die. When we, we have communion and break bread together, we remember the death of Christ, what he has done, his suffering and his affliction. Now in the Feast of Weeks, the Israelite was to rejoice before God. And now we are to rejoice in all the blessings which God has given to us. Philippians 4, 4-7 Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful feast this must have been for the Israelites. A feast of wonderful thanksgiving. When they made offerings to God as to how God had blessed them. May we each day as we consider God's word remember all the blessings which we have in Jesus Christ. And then present ourselves living sacrifices acceptable to God.